0: Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by Arcad. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity.
1: Yes, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building. We really were able to
0: work with
1: teams at Nike branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces.
0: Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the, of the shuttle is actually, and putting it in launch position, is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. You know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story, and we are here to tell it.
2: Um, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are people drinking?
3: Coffee. Water.
2: Okay. I'm drinking iced coffee. Okay. And eating donuts. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to she Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. On this week's episode, we will talk about Jane Jacobs, the urbanist and activist. Through her work, she championed for a community-based approach to city building. I'm Jessica Rogers, drinking iced coffee and eating donuts in Washington, D.C.
0: Hey,
1: girl. Hey, I'm Lizzie Rahr, drinking coffee after finishing my pancake breakfast in San Francisco.
3: I'm Nerdity Rivas. Drinking water after chicken and rice lunch in Houston, Texas. Now for our disclaimer. The three of us are not
1: historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning.
2: All right, so let's start from the beginning. Jane Butzner was born on May 4th, 1916 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Her mother, Bess, was a teacher and nurse. Her father, John, was a physician. Jane's family was one of the few Jewish families to live in the predominantly Roman Catholic city that was Scranton, Pennsylvania.
3: Oh, who knew that Scranton was so Catholic? I mean, I know President Biden was born there and that he's Catholic. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, I think at
2: that time, too, perhaps that area just didn't have a prominent Jewish community. Jane had attended Scranton High School, and after graduation, she worked at the local newspaper.
3: Ooh, cool. What did she do at the newspaper?
2: Uh, She was a writer.
3: (laughs) Oh, she started young. So in 1935, Jane and her sister,
2: Betty, moved to Brooklyn, New York. However, Jane was obsessed with the neighborhood of Greenwich Village. They moved there shortly after.
1: So what kind of work did she do in New York? Yeah, did she continue to write? Yes, yes. She worked as a
2: secretary and a writer. Her writing mostly focused on the city of New York. She ended up studying at Columbia for two years before she quit for a job at Iron Age magazine. She later worked at the Office of War Information and the U.S.
1: State Department.
3: Office of War? That's such a big name. Yeah, dang.
1: What did she do for the Office of War? Was she a spy too? You know those people who work for the State Department. (laughs) <laughs> she was
2: a, she was a writer at the Office of War, kind of in the propaganda department. There she wrote articles about American history, industry, and politics for placement in the foreign press.
3: A likely story. But that sure, does true. sound interesting. <laughs> <laughs> true. A little too interesting if you ask me. Eh.
2: Well, anyway, in 1944, Jane married Robert Hyde Jacobs Jr., an architect who also worked on airplane design during the war.
3: Wait, an architect who designed airplane? Yeah, I would have imagined an engineer did that. Hmm,
2: You could do so much with a degree in architecture.
3: But anyway, after the war... Apparently you can design planes. (laughs) Yep. Didn't
1: know that was an option I had. Put it in your book. Oh, you didn't know that?
2: (laughs) Yep. Possibilities. (laughs) Um, After the war, Robert and Jane bought a house in Greenwich Village. Robert went back into architecture practice of the building's kind, and Jane went back to writing and started a backyard garden. Ooh, gardening. So do you want to hear something interesting that I read? Yes. Okay. While Jane worked for the U.S. State Department, Jane became a target suspected to be a communist. Mind you, this was during the McCarthyism purge of communists in the State Department.
3: Say what? I told you she was a spy. That sounds normal, though. Everyone got accused those days. Remember Catherine Bauer and Mm -hmm. the lady, the cook?
0: (laughs) Julia Julia Child. Julia (laughs) Child.
3: Yes, that's true. But it's still weird because she worked for the State Department. Oh, I see. Like a double agent. Scandalak. Mm hmm.
2: That's the crazy thing, though. Jane was very actively anti-communist. It was her support of unions that brought her under suspicion. And some of her writing back then would include her defending free speech and protection of extremist ideas.
3: Politics. She supports unions, so she's a communist. And if you support livable wage and affordable health insurance, you're a socialist. I wonder what's next. Well...
2: Eventually, in 1952, Jane moved to Washington, D.C. and began working at the Architectural Forum. There, she would write articles about urban planning projects, and she later would become an associate editor.
1: Do you think her husband's profession influenced her switch to writing about architecture? Yeah, I mean, perhaps writing about
2: architecture could have been seen as a neutral ground compared to whatever she wrote for the U.S. Department and take the potential, you know, communist spotlight off of her.
1: hmm Yeah, that's true. More under the radar. Under the radar.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And another added benefit was Douglas Haskell. He was an editor of the Architectural Forum who had very similar ideas like Jane. They both believed in the power of architecture to bring about social change, for better and for worse. Shortly after her hire, Haskell announced that Forum would intensify its emphasis already significant on the problems of the city. And with his lead, it just seemed like the right fit for Jane. And she would be able to talk about what she was interested in the beginning. Cities, city
1: planning and city living. That's really cool. It sounds like she had a good mentor who supported her.
3: Oh, remember Catherine Bauer from episode 24? She used to write articles for Forum. Yes, yes. That's where they kind of met, I believe, but I'll talk
2: about her a little later. Oh, okay. Jane would investigate several urban development projects in Philadelphia and East Harlem. It was there where she came to believe that there was a common consensus that urban planning exhibited very little compassion for the actual people involved, especially for African-Americans. She had observed that revitalization, in quotes, often came at the expense of the community.
3: Revitalization, as in gentrification?
2: Uh, no. I will talk about Jane's thoughts on gentrification in just a moment. But I believe when she talks about revitalization of a community, it's more to benefit the stakeholders and not the actual inhabitants of the area. Like building high rise buildings to fit more people instead of actually creating more shared spaces for natural community living.
1: I think that can happen sometimes with urban planning. Trying to make it all neat and tidy doesn't necessarily make for the best living environment for people. And what works for one community isn't necessarily best for another community.
2: Exactly.
1: And in 1956, as a
2: stand-in for a colleague, Jane gave a lecture at Harvard. Her lecture was on her observation of East Harlem, the importance of strips of chaos over any sort of concept of urban order.
3: Strips of chaos. I need more explanation. My mind is imagining a lot of scenarios right now. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay. well, with this, I believe Jane meant that there is a beauty in the variety that neighborhood can bring, like seeing kids playing in the street, the grannies gossiping on the corner, as opposed to the monotony of apartments or suburban areas. That there is a beauty with diversity,
1: that makes a lot of sense. I think creating variety in proportion and scale within an urban environment is important in the same way that it is in single building design.
3: I agree. And it's important to create spaces that allow for the spontaneous activities Jessica was mentioning.
2: Right. Exactly. This speech was very well received and Jane was asked to write for Fortune magazine. In that article, Jane used that opportunity to write, Downtown is for the people. Criticizing Parks Commissioner Robert Moses for his approach to redevelopment in New York City, which she believed neglected the need of the community by focusing too heavily on concepts like scale, order and efficiency.
3: This reminds me of the concept city designs like Corbu's Radiant City with all these high rise, identical skyscrapers that were designed for the city to be an efficient machine, which received a lot of criticism. Humans are not machines, and studies show that monotony in our surrounding leads to depression and anxiety. So, Jane was definitely onto something. We have to design cities with communities in mind, and it sounds like Robert was not doing that,
2: for sure. Now, let's talk a little bit about Robert Moses. Whenever you come across Jane, you also come across the name Robert Moses, the big bad developer, the villain in our story. And to some, he was even seen as this New York giant in Jane's fight against Goliath.
1: I love a good underdog story. Please tell me that Jane gave this guy a hard time. Once again, I remember
3: learning about Robert Moses in school, but not Jane. Mm. Mm. Yes. Shout out to Dr. Paris, who taught us about Robert Moses in school. But please, Dr. Paris, talk more about Jane. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Okay. so
2: Robert Moses was a guy that held several positions across the city and created a lot of change, infrastructurally speaking, even though he was never an elected official. Some of the positions that he held included being a park commissioner, a city planning commissioner, and he was the head of the Triborough Bridge and
1: Tunnel Authority. So he had his fingers in all the pots. He sure did. Mm-hmm.
2: Robert Moses is credited for creating the bridge that connected Long Island to the city. Actually, he was obsessed with the automobile. He even believed that cities were created for traffic and by traffic.
1: I mean, in some ways, I understand what Robert Moses was pushing for with where America was and the rise of the automobile, right? And creating more efficient ways to get around. It's not a bad thing. However, I think that his pushing for raising whole sections of the city to put throughways through everything and displace poor communities is not how he should have been going about
3: things. I think the problem with him is that the ends justify the means. I don't necessarily disagree with everything he did, but I definitely disagree with the way he went about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, it kind of goes with the industry. It's typically not a win-win thing. One of the things that New York is credited for, it's this amazing skyline, right? Which is credited to Robert Moses and other architects. But in reality, neighborhoods had to be destroyed to do it. And, you know, they weren't
1: tearing down the rich. Yeah, exactly. The cost for making all of that happen isn't equal.
3: You took their words right out of my mouth, Lizzie.
1: Yeah. So this dude already
2: represents everything that Jane is against, right? Then this dude is proposing for a project that would put a highway right through the middle of Greenwich Village. Jane Jacobs is home.
1: Aw, oh, hell to the no. Uh, excuse me. Why not build a tunnel? Yeah, Moses was a bigot and stubborn. He wanted his <gasps> own
2: way. And, Sorry. Yeah, so that's I how it. you really
3: feel, Jessica. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, yeah, I said it. It's true. Uh, and let's be honest. If a woman was telling you to think differently, do you think he would have responded? Mm, not
3: well. Whatever, man.
2: No. Okay. But before we go into that battle, it, let's go back to 1958 where Jane received a large grant from the Rockefeller Foundation to study city planning in New York. And after three years, Jane published her renowned book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities.
1: Yeah, Jane. So what did the book say? Yes. So in
2: the book, she talks about several topics regarding urban renewal and design.
1: Okay. so
2: for some cliff notes, the city was an ecosystem. It depended on a variety of uses and planning based on community. So similar to her thinking of the strips and chaos surgery, there was this interconnected webbing that can change and adapt that is also dependent to one another in order to function.
3: Yeah, a very organic way of thinking that things would just naturally occur how the people in the space needed them to. Yet, I don't know if I completely agree with this way of designing I still believe that something needs to be designed in a way that takes people into account to allow for specific things to happen.
2: Well, well, well. It's funny that you mentioned that because in the book, Jane also criticizes uh, Miss Catherine Bauer.
4: <gasps> Skadalach. I knew
3: this was coming, but how dare she? <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: honestly, I think they both had similar ideas, but they just had different reasons to go about it. However, where they differ, Jane believed that urban neighborhoods should have a more democratic process in development. Basically, that neighborhoods and cities are created by the community and the people. And Catherine believed that the state would have a more integral role in neighborhoods by being both the landlord and developer.
3: Well, yeah, because left alone, you'll have people being willy nilly and chaos. I think they needed to meet in the middle. It can be a community-based design with the government as support.
2: Yeah. So from my research and looking at it from Jane's point of view, it seems like Catherine's approach of that Hauser building type was located almost like satellite communities, separating people from the city and the additional programs were mandated by larger entities. And they weren't creating this organically, like the people didn't have a say, but that it was mandated by a larger group.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I can see the argument to both of their sides. In a way, the government leaving people to fend for themselves or not having much funding for these things can cause issues and for many things to be overlooked. But at the same time, if the government just comes in and does things without asking the community what they need or separates them from the fabric of the city, like you're saying, that doesn't seem like a good solution either.
3: The way I understood it is that Catherine saw existing cities as a place of Unmitigated growth, pollution, segregation, inequality, they needed to start better and fresh. That's why she defended satellite cities. Catherine wanted to plan new cities, taking lessons learned from existing ones. But Back in the day, people could disagree on something major and not be sworn enemies. Catherine and Jane were friendly and respectful throughout their life. Catherine helped Jane get support from the Rockefeller Foundation, and overall, they congratulated each other on their successes.
1: Oh, I like that. I like that they're able to have a productive discourse and still support women doing their thing.
2: Yeah, in some of my research, it might seem like there's drama between the two ladies, but this isn't hip hop. They just had two different points of view. So even though they might have been seen as frenemies, maybe they did have a common enemy. They both didn't like Robert Moses.
3: The enemy of my enemy is my friend.
1: This is where Robert Moses would sing his villain song in a Disney movie.
3: (laughs) Oh, no, don't make him a Disney villain. Then he'll get the best song and I'll have to like him. (laughs) That's right. You love (laughs) all the villain songs. They're great.
4: (laughs) Well,
2: they do have a musical on this very topic. So if you want to chuckle, check a link in our show notes. I think Robert. Oh, and as a side note, I think Robert Moses looks like Governor Ratcliffe from Disney's Pocahontas, but maybe it's just me.
3: (laughs) I'll have to look both their images up. I don't have a mental
2: picture of either. Okay, so fans, maybe check out a social media post, uh, folks, because I think we'll have a poll. (laughs) That sounds fun. And you decide. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, in my head, Jane and Catherine are friends because they both hated this dude.
3: Yeah, but I also think that they both recognized that each wanted to do good things. And as we mentioned last week, they were both blondes with brunette ideas. (laughs) They probably had to have each other's back being women in such a man's world where people got away with saying comments like that. Yeah. I mean, they were both
1: fighting those baldy men with salt and pepper ideas. Right. (laughs) <laughs> okay audience this might make sense if you listened to last
2: week's episode but yeah at the end they're both fighting the man yeah <laughs> okay so back to the book and the man robert with the description of the city of an ecosystem you can also assume that jane was all for the diversity in a city she also includes a principle that advocates for generators of diversity mixed uses permeability Variety in the built environment and high density. Those four pillars determined the character of the city. With that being said, her precious Greenwich Village was basically the epitome of what she was describing. And here comes Robert trying to bulldoze right through it.
1: Right through her prime case study. This guy.
2: Yeah. So Moses wanted to create expressways that would connect the two bridges of Brooklyn with the Holland Tunnel. Like I mentioned before, this expressway would have displaced so many businesses and housing. It would have destroyed Washington Square Park, the West Village, and Jane's Greenwich Village. Oh, no.
3: This is what I was talking about before. The ends do not justify the means. When you want to uproot people, erase them, their community, and basically their whole lives, and create blank slates in the image of what is right for a certain community, and not at all beneficial for the community that was there is not right. Yeah, I agree. I feel like are they not creative
1: enough to come up with a solution that doesn't tear down half the city and destroy the fabric of the community, but still allows traffic to flow better? I mean, cars are a thing that our society is not getting away from. So I understand needing to come up with better solutions for them and to try and limit traffic. But does it have to be at the expense of the city itself? Yep.
2: So anyways... Jane was against this whole top-down approach with city design. And she was just against everything this man was for. Jane protested countlessly against him and what he was trying to do. She gathered people from the community, held protests. She was so relentless in her protesting and in her arguing that she would make grown men cry. She even got arrested.
1: Dang, she was serious.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but also, yeah, activism. Be the change you want to see. Make grown men cry if it helps. Only (laughs) as a last resort. But still, you gotta do what you gotta do.
2: (laughs) I mean, at the end, it all helped because Robert Moses was removed from power and his plans to change the city never got done.
1: See? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Wait, was he removed because of her efforts? I mean, it
2: definitely helped. And her book basically sealed the deal with Robert Moses. However... By her not being originally in this field and being a woman, her book was definitely criticized. And in the end, this book helped her stop Greenwich Village from being demolished. And now she is considered to be the mother of urban design.
1: Very impressive. She is definitely giving me protective mama bear vibes. (laughs) Yeah, good analysis, Lucy.
2: (laughs) So after Jane got arrested, Jane and Familia moved to Toronto, Canada in 1968.
1: Like she had to flee because of her arrest? Oh, snap.
2: (laughs) I originally thought that perhaps it was because she got arrested and possibly from the exhaustion of all the activism that this would make Jane want to move. But in my research, I had come across that Jane had a son and like Jane, they were both against the war. So to avoid her son getting drafted, The family moved to Canada and there she eventually received her Canadian citizenship.
3: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. So in Canada,
2: Jane also became involved in stopping an expressway and rebuilding neighborhoods on a more community friendly plan. So my thought that she was tired of activism was not true. Homegirl continued her work in lobbying and activism to question conventional city planning ideas.
1: Yeah. It doesn't seem like she was tired of it. (laughs) They
3: never are. So true.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So in 2006,
2: Jane Jacobs passed away in Toronto and her family asked that she be remembered by reading her books and implementing her ideas outside of the death and life of great American cities. She had also written six other books.
3: Oh, wow. 2006. She just died. Yeah. That's so recent. But it sounds like Jane was able to accomplish
1: a lot during her life and really push for the changes that she wanted to see.
3: Totally. What a great inspiration she is to me. I feel really energized to rally for what I believe in and change the world through architecture and design.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. When I first heard of her, I just thought she was a lady that just didn't want her neighborhood to get torn down. But once you actually realize what her approach was to communities and neighborhoods. Yeah, it really changed how I thought about urban design and urban development. So I really enjoyed my research on her.
3: And her impact also.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I also like the idea that she could make grown men cry. (laughs) 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 So before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. So Nardri, can you remind us what a
3: karyotid is? You got it, Chica. A caryatid is a stone carving of a woman, used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a caryatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode.
2: Without further ado, this week's caryatid is. <laughs> Mabel
1: Wilson!
2: Yay. Yay. Yay, Mabel! Mabel! Okay, so Mabel O. Wilson is trained in architecture and American studies. Her training in these two fields informs her research and work. She has a transdisciplinary practice named Studio and Wilson, which makes visible and legible the ways that anti-Black racism shapes the built environment, along with the ways that Blackness creates spaces of imagination, refusal, and desire. And her research investigates space, politics and cultural memory in Black America, race and modern architecture, new technologies and the social production of space and visual culture in contemporary art, media and film. She is also the Nancy and George Rupp Professor of Architecture, Planning and Preservation, a professor in African-American and African diaspora studies And the director of the Institute for Research in African-American Studies, IRAAS, at Columbia University.
3: Wow, that's a mouthful. What like what kind of design does that all bring out? I'm wondering. I want to see what she does. Like, I've never even thought about blackness creates spaces of imagination, refusal and desire. What does that all mean? It's interesting.
2: I think of arts. So like Mm -hmm. theater, community centers, um, stages, like for not just theater, but like music and is that what it is? Anything that will allow. Is that what she does? I mean, she does a lot of. Well, Okay, so one of the things that she's worked on is the Smithsonian Underground Memorial. So it talks something like that. I'm not saying it right, but she just does so much that I don't think that she has a lot of work that's actually like built. It's more of all of the things that she does in academic circles and her research that ties into those. So she probably brings out examples that
3: talk about what you're saying. Oh, interesting. Well, tell us more. Tell us more about her.
2: I mean, honestly, I can go on and on for the work that she has done, including her award that she received in 2019, the Educator Slash Mentor Honor Award from Architectural Records Women in Architecture Design Leadership Program. And she is also a founding member of Who Builds Your Architecture, which is an advocacy project to educate the architectural profession about the problems of globalization and labor.
1: Wow, that sounds like a really cool program. And I want to learn more about Who Builds My Architecture.
2: Yeah. How do we (laughs) join? I'm going to look this up. Yes, I can put links in our show notes for this group. I so I've heard of Mabel, like through all of these like research and her the academic circles and stuff. But most recently, she published a book called Race in Modern Architecture, a critical history from the Enlightenment to the present. And I really want to read this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. And I can definitely see the connection to Jane and how Mabel is working to research and to figure out how to better communities.
2: Yeah. I agree. There's definitely some research that's involved that I think reminded me of Jane. And they're both for the improvement of communities, and they see the value in having this very robust neighborhood and diversity within the community, which is cool.
3: Great carry to Jessica.
2: Thank you. So before we sign off, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music, John W, our tech producer, and most of all, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning more from Jane and Mabel, along with our banter, and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you.
1: Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your professors, your activists. Give us five stars on iTunes. (laughs) Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us.
3: We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast, and on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Bye! 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 hands one two
2: three clap great there's a car that just revved up and I heard it you heard it oh I didn't hear it that time city living I hate it I mean I love it but I hate it fun topic on this project.
4: Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.